Welcome to my new podcast, Why Didn't Anyone Tell Me This? With my guests, we are discussing health issues with an emphasis on reproductive health, answering your questions you may have and debunking some of the many myths around our health. And today, it's a great pleasure to be talking to racing car driver Toby Trice, Racing for Fertility. Toby began karting with Russ Mead to help him overcome depression and give him a new focus and a chance to escape from dealing with fertility issues. In 2019, Toby started a campaign to raise awareness for fertility with the goal to end the stigma of fertility through motorsport. And the same year, he claimed his first podium at Donington Park. Welcome, Toby. Great to see you. Oh, Joyce, thank you so much for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to join you today and I'm really looking forward to chatting all things fertility. It's um, yeah, it's obviously a topic I'm very, very passionate about having gone through my own journey. Um, and yeah, like you just said, you know, I'm really keen to help sort of end the stigma and taboo, get guys talking and ultimately get guys checked, tested and treated so that hopefully more couples can have babies. That's the, that's the, the, the bigger plan of the campaign, I guess. Yeah, that's fabulous. And we'll, we'll talk all about that. And there's Unfortunately, only a handful of you, but at least we have got some men who are in the spotlight, like you and a few others, who now are really helping get this conversation going for men. So it's so important. And that's why I wanted to have you on my podcast today. So let's start by talking about your amazing racing career, because it's it's really great. To, I was reading up about it. It's really great. I'd love <laughs> you to tell our listeners. Oh, uh, yeah. So it's, it's it's been a bit of a mad rise, really. I mean, you know, from from a very young age, I, I grew up with my uncle at a local, local go-karting track and banger racing track where I kind of watched him and always wanted to be in the car and used to get on their nerves while they were kind of, you know, fixing his car up and I'd be sitting in the passenger seat or in the race seat, you know, pretending to drive it. So I've always kind of grown up around motorsport and some some very fond memories of me and my granddad um, you know, watching the Formula One, sitting on this little toy Williams F1 car that, that I got for Christmas one year. And, you know, I've got, you know, massive motorsport fan f- forever, really. Um, but I remember when I was at the very, very peak of my fertility journey, um, I was really depressed. I was really in a low place because kind of I did the normal guy thing, buried my head in the sand, didn't want to accept that I was going through this um, and kind of was in a spiral of depression so much so that actually I just questioned my own existence you know should I even be here if I can't be a dad all those kind of things popped into my head which is a very common thing among you know the fertility world um, but a very very dear friend of mine Russ Mead um, he said to me one day Tobes come on let's just get you out let's go and do something fun um, you know we can go and afford to do some go-karting why don't we just join um, some karting at a local track Butmore Park and just go and have a blast let's go and have two friends go and have some you know, giggle and forget about all of the issues that we're going through at the time. And he had his own, you know, issues that he was going through. And so um, previous to that, I'd been to, you know, a couple of like stag do's and a couple of birthdays at go-karting tracks and would normally win. Um, And I'm a very competitive guy. So obviously I went to this, this, this first race at Butmore Park, which was one of the, the, the bigger series that Butmore Park did at the time. And it was an hour long race. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to turn up and just go and win. And honestly, Joyce, I turned up and started the race and I've finished almost last. I was absolutely dreadful at this, um, which was which comes as a bit of a surprise after kind of the success I've had since, since then. Um, but actually, that gave me a, a newfound determination because my fertility journey was kind of, you know, I felt a bit out of control. Um, I weren't able to control potentially the outcome. But here I was at a go-kart track that I was going to go to every single month. And actually I could, you know, work on my fitness. I could work on, 
you know, driving better. And I was channeling all of this negative energy into something really positive. So each month I was chipping away getting quicker and quicker. And in 2018, I was crowned um, the Butmore Park. Um, I, I podiumed on the Butmore Park Championship, which was amazing. Won a couple of races. Um, I think I was second or third in that series. And then I was crowned Butmore Park Drivers Driver of the Year, which is a hugely prestigious award. Um, you know, you've got Le Mans winning drivers on there, such as Mike Conway, who's recently won Le Mans 24 Hour. So I was so, so proud that I'd won this award. But that was the same year that um, Katie and I had um, two failed rounds of IVF. So it was a really kind of, yes, we were very happy about this racing thing because that was great. Um, but also very, very sad that we'd just lost our, you know, our two rounds of IVF. But I got spotted um, by a sponsor in the early part of 2019. Um, and he suggested that I need to look at racing seriously because I just started karting a couple of years. I've been, I've now been competing against guys that have been karting from their, their childhood. And here I was kind of with this success in go-karting. And I was like, yeah, yeah, kind of just shrugged it off. But he invited me along to Brands Hatch, have a go in a race car, which, you know, was a dream. Like that was, that was amazing. I never forget that moment. Um, and he said to me, look, Tobes, you really, really need to consider this as an option because, if you're not taking this opportunity up, uh, you don't know what could be ahead of you. And I think you've got real potential to have some success in motorsport. So I consulted with a lady called Jess Shanahan, who runs a, um, a mentorship program to help drivers understand the value of sponsorship. Um, because I didn't have no money to go racing. It's a huge, expensive sport. Um, so I wanted to learn how I could raise a budget because obviously I had to raise, you know, five figures in this first year. It's a, it's a large amount of money. Um, and I wanted to make sure there was value for any sponsors on board. But during that time, I was obviously with Facility Network UK. They were supporting me through my fertility journey. And I felt like I had an opportunity um, because I felt like motorsport kind of kind of saved my life. It was kind of like that kind of place where I could kind of escape and give me this purpose. So I thought, you know what? Why don't I make this an opportunity to actually raise awareness for fertility? Um, a really scary step because I hadn't talked publicly about this before, you know, a close knit of friends and some family knew about my, my journey, but that was kind of it. Um, so I wrote out to the media, um, got a budget from various sponsors that I'm, you know, very grateful for their, their support. And um, I got a phone call from the BBC and the BBC wanted to do an interview with me about my campaign racing for fertility. And honestly, Joyce, I was so scared because I was thinking, right, this is it now. If I do this, this is it. It's going out to the world. Um so I agreed to it. I met um, the, the, the TV crew at Brands Hatch and created this campaign, had the interview. It went out, aired that evening. And I remember sitting at home watching it, like cringing, going, oh my God, this is this is so scary. But the response I got was amazing. I got so many DMs um, on Instagram, you know, Facebook and, you know, text messages, people that knew me that had no idea. Um, and they thought it was a really brave decision that I made. Um, and so many reached out that they were currently going through the, you know, fertility treatment or had been through. Um, and they were grateful that I'd actually kind of raised this awareness. So that was the very start of the campaign in 2019. Um, and since then, I've just really, really focused on pushing myself to be better on track because the more success I get on track, the more media presence I get. Um, and therefore that helps raise the campaign even bigger which you know ultimately helps out um individuals and couples going through a fertility journey so we get now you know commentators on itv4 talking about fertility we get commentators at the racetrack talking about fertility we get fans now talking about fertility which is amazing because we're just reaching out to so many people and along the way um i've just 
honestly, I've had endless amounts of people that I've supported now through this. Um, and the the goal now is to go global, is to, you know, we've become a British champion once. Um, I'm currently racing as a Porsche Cayman Sprint Challenge driver in the GB series, hoping to win this championship this year with, with all with all the luck that I can get. Um, but each trophy in each championship really is is about kind of lifting that for the couples that have gone through a really difficult time. Um, you know, this is not about me racing. This is about me raising awareness for those people. So um, in short, yeah, it's been it's been mad and I hope that we can continue it. And, you know, it wouldn't be possible without all the, the amazing sponsors that I've got um, and the trust they have in me and in, in, in the campaign and what we're trying to achieve, really. Wow, Toby, that that's that's so amazing and so inspirational. And thank you so much for doing this because ma- male infertility is really not talked about. I think when you started, really nobody was talking about it. So you you really no, did, that's right. Yeah, you you really started something that it, it is snowballing now, but it's really important. Um, and people really respond to these real life stories. We're uh, my international uh, reproductive health group, we are going to be recording some people telling us their real stories. Actually, we'll, we'll, you'll be one of the people we'll ask to come on because that you know people can relate to that. And being like you are a celebrity is, I think, even more important because it gets the message out to so many people. So I know that you and Katie have been together since you were 15. Um, and yep. You do have a success story now, but I'm going to let you say this. So you've touched on a few things that happened, but if you'd like to tell us a little bit more about your specific fertility journey. Yeah, so um, our, our journey lasted um, almost seven years in total. It was um, it was a bit of a rough ride. So we did the typical thing. Um, we kind of waited to have a family until we're kind of financially stable. You know, I had a good job. Um, Katie was ready. And we also lived a little bit in our early 20s, you know, we did some traveling and some fun things, um, get that out of our system ready so we could just fully concentrate on having having a child. And sort of at the age of 25, we, um, we, we sat down and we, you know, we were very excited. We always wanted children and this was the time that felt, felt right for us. Um, and 12 months into Try Naturally, we didn't have any success, not a sniff of a pregnancy. Um, you know, Kate had a couple of late periods, but, you know, nothing really that suggested that we were ever pregnant. Um, and it was a bit of a weird time because we'd gone from at the start, you know, being very excited. And over the course of that year, you know, things got a bit more like, oh, this is a bit rubbish. Um, you know, sex felt very planned. Um, you know, it, it was difficult. It was challenging because um, it went from, you know, love to we need to do it now. <laughs> and the pressure of that was was a bit strange. And I think that's really quite common in, in a lot of couples that, you know, that start this journey and, and don't have success. And and that builds its own little pressure in a relationship. It causes you know, stress for the male to kind of perform on the spot. Um, and and it's, it was a really difficult time for us. But we then went on to our GP, um, immediately referred to a local NHS um, fertility clinic, which was gynecology-led. Um, so the focus was very much on, on Katie. Um, I had a basic semen analysis that showed that I had, you know, everything pretty average. Um, but my morphology was always a little bit under average. Um, but I was told that wasn't much of a concern. And the focus was just turned to Katie and she went through endless amounts of tests. Um, the poor thing was like a little lab rat. I felt so sorry for her after what she went through. Um, we tried Clomid, we tried a couple of treatments that, that, you know, we hoped would work. And month by month, we went through lots of hope to her period come in. And then obviously the, the you know, the, the, the sadness that came with that. Um, 
and then we got to like it was like three years it was like suddenly here we are three years in and um we were then referred to an IVF clinic after kind of qualifying for NHS funding round because we didn't have much money and you know it's going to be difficult for us to to pay for IVF but we would have begged borrowed and stole to do it um but fortunately we did have some NHS funding rounds which was, we qualified for two rounds in our in our area so we whizzed off to a clinic um and we met with the consultant and we were told at the time we were pretty much textbook IVF cases we were young fit healthy um there was nothing really to suggest there were any issues um, and we were kind of not promised, but we were kind of told that actually this is going to work and, you know, we will have a child. And we left that consultation with honestly the most, we felt so elated knowing that we we're going to get this help and, you know, we we're going to come out of here with a baby, despite the fact this is very now a clinical thing. We wanted it to be a moment of romance rather than a, you know, a clinical, um, clinical thing. Um, but, you know, we were full of hope. So we followed um, the first round of IVF and, um unfortunately that was that was unsuccessful we had I think eight embryos all fertilized all looking really good until about day five where they started collapsing so we were a bit kind of like oh you know it's a bit sad but we had one transferred um and sadly you know two weeks later we you know it didn't it didn't work and you know we had you know the sadness of that really to to deal with um but we soon picked ourselves up we had a, a couple months off and then we went for a second fresh round um with the hope that you know perhaps it was just one off we were told that that can be quite common infertility um and the second round normally is a bit more successful and it was pretty much the same story um we we came away with that one with another miscarry um and you know Katie and I decided that we really need to take a break because we were into like four years at this point and we were just really just down depressed and you know didn't know where to turn and that's when I was obviously doing all the go-karting and becoming a racing driver um and that, that pairs nicely with kind of the journey of motorsport. So while I was going through um, this year out of fertility, um, which was in 2019, we just took a break, you know, to discover Katie and Toby again and have some fun again and kind of bring back the relationship that, you know, that we once had and, and we didn't want to, you know, lose who we were. Um, so we went out for dinners and treated ourselves a little bit more, um, which was nice. It was nice just to put it to bed for a little bit. But along the way, I met lots of people that work in male fertility, um, such as Ian Stones, Michael Close. He runs a company called Logics Fertility. Um, I met the wonderful Jonathan Ramsey, who I absolutely adore. He's a great guy. Um, and the attention actually turned to me that actually I might be the cause of the problem, um, which was a really scary concept because as a, as a man that's been told this whole way, you're fine, don't worry, you know, after we've been through so much suddenly it's like hang on a minute am I actually the problem here so I had um a DNA fragmentation test done um basically to look at the sperm and see if the DNA um is damaged is the DNA any good um and that test came back really really bad it turned out that I had really really high levels of DNA damage in my sperm um which was really like really tough news to get because you know until that point I wasn't the problem or so we thought um, the focus was all on my partner and now bang, here we go. Like this is now my problem. Um, however, I was diagnosed with a varicocele, so in a large vein of the testes. Um, and I always used to have dull aches and stuff after going for a run, but kind of did the man thing and just go, ah, it'll be fine. It's just, I'm sure it's nothing. Um, I was aware of a lump there and you know, ah, it's okay. No, nothing to worry about. Um, but Jonathan Ramsey did a physical examination and was like, you know, that's not cancer. 
which is good news. Um, but it's a varicocele, which could be causing the high levels of DNA fragmentation. So he suggested to me and Katie that it would be worth looking at a varicocelectomy to have, to have this varicocele kind of um, removed, if you like. And we, we went away and had to think about our options. Um, but Jonathan gave us a very realistic outcome that this would help improve my DNA frag. Um, not necessarily guarantee a baby, but at least it would be um, helping my sperm to be manufactured a little bit better so they're going to be a little bit healthier so off I went in the December of 2020 actually after the uh, the kind of pandemic era um to have this varicocelectomy and I remember after the surgery um I was in my little private ward um because we pay privately for that and uh, I remember literally blubbing to myself literally like in bits um because I was on my own Katie wasn't able to come into the hospital and this amazing nurse came in and he basically <laughs> was like Tobes are you okay and I was like yeah man I'm just you know this has been years of of waiting and actually I feel like this feels like a really positive thing that I've actually got something done that's going to help us um but literally it was like cork out the bottle I was just in bits in this in my bed after the after the surgery I remember bringing it in Katie saying, you know, it's all done. Um, you know, I hope it's going to be the, the, what we need and fingers crossed. But we knew at that point we've now done everything we can um, for potentially, you know, a pregnancy in the future. And fingers crossed it was going to work, but we didn't know for sure. Um, so three months after that, we, we, we booked in to see Jonathan Ramsey again to have some retests um, to check if it, if it was a success. And jovially, I remember chat, chatting to Katie one evening about a week or two before and said, oh, could you imagine if we um, cancelled the appointment just because we've fallen pregnant naturally, you know, just trying to cope with it a little bit easier. And Kate was like, oh, you know, okay, yeah, whatever sort of thing, you know, fingers crossed, but it's not going to, you know, it's, not, it's a bit too soon. And honestly, D Joyce, days after, um, Katie said, look, I feel a bit strange. I feel a bit weird. Um, and I looked at her and said, something's different. And I could just sense something felt different. Um, and I was at work that day. I got home at about eight o'clock at night. Um, and it was on my mind all day. So I went off to, to a local supermarket, bought a couple of pregnancy tests and I did it in absolute cognito. Like I was buying something really naughty because I didn't want anyone to see me buying a pregnancy test to then question, are you pregnant? Cause that would have been a really complicated story. And I just didn't, you know, didn't have the energy for that. I just wanted to get home to Katie. So I tucked it at the bottom of this bag out. I whipped, got home and um, we did this pregnancy test like half eight at night. And Joyce, it came out positive, like almost immediately. And it was just the most wonderful thing. You know, we, we literally were in tears on the bathroom floor for like half an hour. Um, we had all of this plan that if we ever fall pregnant, we'd go and see our parents and, you know, do it all properly and talk to them about our pregnancy. But we couldn't even wait. We literally rung our parents and was just like screaming down the phone that we're pregnant. Um, and this was the first time we ever was properly, you know, properly pregnant. And um, yeah, nine months later, our, our little boy Oliver was was born and um, we became parents, which was just insane. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm so overwhelmed even to this day that that was even, that even happened and very grateful to be a parent. But it just shows the importance really, because our journey was um, was quite quite like many of our age and, and other age groups that it, the focus was all on the, the female, keep doing IVF, keep doing ICSI. And eventually even fall pregnant but for us that wasn't the case we had unexplained infertility but actually i just wasn't checked and tested and once i was i then got to find out actually i was a problem that there was something that could be fixed um and then we had natural conception which actually is really beautiful because we planned on having a natural conception and you know if we'd had a pregnancy revive that's great because we'd have had our baby but actually there was something extra we got back which was 
you know, we've got a memory now of a moment of romance and we had a natural conception, which means that in the future, if we want more children, one would hope that we would have more success naturally. And actually that's better for future baby planning. We haven't got to worry too much about the cost of you know, more fertility treatment, hopefully. Um, so, so yeah, it's been a mad journey. It's been a very mad journey, Joyce. And, um, you know, I just want to keep sharing it and spreading the word because more guys need to be checked. Toby, you made me cry. <laughs> so those people oh. on YouTube, they can see that my eyes are all red now and I've got tears coming out of my oh, eyes. Um, I think I'm crying. I'm crying for, for several reasons. I think one of the reasons I'm crying, I, you know, I went through seven years of IVF and you reliving your story. I think anyone that's been through this, whether they have a child or not, when they hear other people talking about their journey, it brings back so many emotions so for mm. me it brought back so many emotions but you you your listen your story brings up so many issues you were you were young you know any IVF clinic or fertility specialist who has a couple in their mid-20s come to them you know they're they're like wow this is you know most people come to the clinic when they're in their late 30s but you, you did, you know, yeah. by, by at your at that age in your mid twenties, after trying for a year, over ninety percent of people should be pregnant. But as as you were aware that you you weren't, and you did all the right things. You you went and and started getting checked because I think that's one of the obstacles when people know when when should we start getting on this treadmill of fertility testing. And as you explained, it's not easy. It's really really hard and as you said more so for Katie but I think one of the main I mean there's many things I could I could look you know we could talk about but I think one of the main things is the fact that it's so common not to check the man and you I'm in my view I'm sure you agree every man should have that that check of their testicles that physical examination which doesn't take very long you know it takes minutes really but you really showed that looking at a sperm sample, which so many people rest so much faith on, really doesn't tell us a lot. I've, I've always said that anyone working in this field would always say, just looking at your sperm count really doesn't answer everything. If, if something's wrong, if it's low, or you know, you said about the morphology, it's, it's a, it really is a bit of a fuzzy test. But if you just look at that sperm sample, if it's okay, it means, okay, it's not something obviously wrong, but it doesn't mean that it's fertile and that you could have a child. So the fact that you had the right people on board and got it sorted is, you know, it's it's absolutely amazing. Um, and before we go on to talk about more yeah. about the work you're doing now, so what's it like being a dad? You've got a little boy. I've got three IVF boys. <laughs> Mine are much bigger. <laughs> um, what's it like being a dad? <laughs> Oh, it's wonderful. It really is. Um, obviously, it lends its whole new challenges ahead of you that you don't even realise until, you know, the moment comes. But yeah, it's really wonderful. And it's, it's um, you know, I'm just so grateful every day to wake up to Oliver and, you know, just share all the experiences that I'm going through now with, you know, with all the racing stuff. And, you know, he's growing up with this, this mad world that I'm in. <laughs> Poor thing. <laughs> um, but but, it's like, but equally, it's it's very strange because I, I remember when um, when Oliver was first, was first born and going out, you know, to a you know, walking into town with a pram and people congratulating us. It was lovely. It was, of course, lovely. But we had this really weird um, kind of almost guilt that 
maybe there's other people out there that are looking at us like, oh, look at them, they're lucky to have a baby. And because we felt the same, you know, we, we would walk through a town and just see babies everywhere. And it was almost like in your face. So I'm kind of, I've always been quite conscious of that. I, don't, I, I like to, obviously, of course, I love to celebrate Oliver's here and I love, you know, love having him. You know, he's, he's, he's a wonderful little child. But equally, I, I kind of am quite careful not to celebrate it too much because I'm aware that actually it's quite triggering for some people. Um, and I just want people to understand that, even though now I am a parent and I've had success, it really doesn't change the way I feel about the fertility world and really what I want to change. And I just hope it inspires people to actually get, you know, their husbands checked or, you know, the guys to get checked out because um, quite frankly, it's changed my life for the better, which I'm very grateful for. Um, And I do know there are people out there that unfortunately didn't have that opportunity and they've just got to the menopause and then became childless, not by choice. And it could have been completely different should the man have been checked. So this is such an important topic um, because us guys, A, we don't talk about it, which is what I'm trying to change. In the medicine world, you know, there is lots of care and love for their patients. And I really believe that. But but there needs to be more done. And there's so many good technologies out there now that can check for these particular conditions that are actually relatively inexpensive. And when I look at our cycle, we've effectively wasted two rounds of NHS funded um, fertility treatment. You know, what's that cost? A couple, you know, 10 grand, say. Um, and for the sake of, I think it was a few hundred pounds to have a consultation and, and you know, these additional checks done, um, which has then lent to say that actually I can fall pregnant naturally. And those NHS rounds could have actually gone to someone that perhaps did actually need it because IVF is still a needed treatment. And for some people, it is definitely something they need to be pursuing. Um, but we've kind of wasted that that funding and, and I'm really keen now to kind of go to government and explain my story and change the way that the whole policies are made because women are just immediately made the blame which I think is really sad and unfair because in 50% of the cases it is male factor so if the NHS are spending money on you know testing the woman so thoroughly let's get the guys done at exactly the same time before we even think about IVF because if there's something that can be changed um, and there's plenty of research papers out there now. You know, I'm still trying to muddle my way through the, the scientific language. It's, it blows my mind with that sort of stuff. But there are papers out there now that do talk about DNA frag, varicocil, oxidative stress. Um, these things are far more bigger um, to build a picture than just a sperm um, semen analysis. And if you can then get treated and have a pregnancy naturally, surely that's got to be the better way, surely. Um, and if more couples can have that, then... We're on to something good, really, I think. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, as I said, you've, you've highlighted so many issues there. And as you said, half of infertility is due to the man. And some of it's unknown. We, we, we not, I normally say, different people use different figures. I normally say about um, a quarter's the male, a quarter's the female, a quarter's both. So that means that half is, is male. Mm-hmm. And then there's about the quarter that we just haven't got to the bottom of yet. But as you said, with that examination happening nearer the time, at the beginning, it would have saved you you so much, you and Katie so much trauma, but NHS funding, et cetera. And I think, you know, you summed this up. We, we just blame the woman, unfortunately. And I've got some colleagues who are doing some research on... Um, male infertility and the treatment that men go through and I know that one of their sayings is you know we forget about the man in the room that when as you said you know you go through the treatment oh your semen analysis is okay oh it's the woman let's just start prodding poking testing everything else the woman and that's really really got to change we've got to 
do more testing of both people, uh, certainly the man, and really get to the bottoms of this. But you, you have really been one of these people, as I, I've also tried to be, but you know, you've done it beautifully, where you've turned this negative situation round to something that's really positive in many ways and is really helping so many other people. And for, for men, this is so, so important. So you've you've been, as you said, you've been working with Fertility Network UK and been campaigning for more education on male infertility. Do you want to tell us more about that? Yeah, so, um, so yeah, so I teamed up with Fertility Network UK for the, the Racing for Fertility campaign. Um, and, and just like you said, I wanted to create a campaign that was actually quite positive because I think we can all sit here with our violins and make it a bit of a sob story, etc. Um, and at the time, obviously, you know, I, I wasn't a parent and I had no concept of being a dad um, because I didn't know what, what the problem was at the time. But I really, really want to make it a positive thing because us guys, we're a bit rubbish at talking. Um, and if there's something that's quite negative, guys normally switch it off in their brain, put it to the back and then focus on something else. Um, and when the Racing for Fertility campaign started, it was an opportunity for me to really switch it on its head and go, guys, just come and have some fun racing. Um, I'm raising awareness for fertility. And if we end up talking about it, great. And if not, and we talk about cars and petrol and tyres and all the good stuff, then at least then we've got something we can chat about in a, in a fun environment. And I think when guys are, when guys know someone else has gone through fertility treatment, guys might not necessarily talk about it, but the fact they know each other going through it, there's kind of a little brotherhood, brotherhood nod that's like, I'll get you and I know exactly what you're feeling like. And if you don't end up talking about fertility and you talk about some fun, then that's that's cool. But nine times out of 10, we eventually get on to talk about fertility treatment. And I think the campaign that I started, um, and it was highlighted by the BBC that, that I'm, I'm in an environment in motorsport where it's known to be quite macho, you know, try to not show weaknesses, you know, all about being strong, brave, you know, risking our lives on circuit. It's a dangerous sport, right? Um, but there, here I am talking about something that is perceived as something unmatcher. You know, you you lose your masculinity if you're infertile, those kind of, you know, typical sort of taboos and stigmas. And it's far from the case. Motorsport is, of course, a dangerous sport, but I'm Toby and I'm just a normal person. Um, and also fertility shouldn't be um, emasculating it. You know, we should be proud, actually, that we've got, you know, yes, we've got an issue, um, but there are many other men out there. And rather than thinking you're the only one, because that's how I felt. I felt like I was the only guy going through this. Actually, when you start talking to more men and more couples and more people, suddenly you realise actually, oh yeah, we had an IVF baby or, oh, my son actually is going through fertility treatment now. And 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 the conversations that come from that are really great. And so the campaign Racing for Fertility um, has been pretty overwhelming. You know, obviously I initially started out just to raise awareness. That was the plan. But since then, it's boomed into something way bigger. So obviously, I'm now working with Facility Network UK on lots of things called Facility in the Workplace. So we're basically helping introduce um, policies within the workplace to support couples going through facility journeys, which is brilliant because that's that's a very much needed thing. Um, we open up conversations to you know many people, not just in the UK, but actually Europe and worldwide so far have had had reach, which is madness. Um, and then also companies that have been sponsoring the campaign, they've actually, you know, slightly off topic, but they've actually helped grow their companies um, to employ more staff because they're actually engaging in something quite fun with, you know, with, with regards to the fertility angle. So their staff feel more um, cared for, loyal, etc. They're attracting more staff. 
So their companies are growing, which is great, which builds an economy in its own right. Um, and they're able to scream from the rooftops about this campaign, which is brilliant. So, um, yeah, this little acorn of an idea in 2019 that I was absolutely so scared should you know I've almost flipped a coin about should I or shouldn't I do this and I'm so glad I did because the the ripple effect it's having out on so many people is is quite something and um you know it's not all me there's I've got a great team behind me of people that help me out with all this um and it just blows my mind every day that you know I get little dms now of pregnancy announcements and um you know for the guys that I've supported and helped out with Joyce honestly I, I, I can't believe that it's all become what it's become and I just hope it can continue because it is really we're really onto something, I think. I, I want to thank you, Toby, from everyone in the fertility field, because without people like you, we can't raise awareness. And and, and it's just, you know, your work has been brilliant. Absolutely. I've, I've followed you for years. Oh. Um, and um, one of my PhD students is doing a project on male fertility, really centred around education, which is exactly what you're doing. And you helped us several years ago with some great advice about how we can try and do that but one of one of the issues we found in our work is men are still reluctant to to discuss this so we we did a survey that we had thousands of women reply to and we had the similar one for men and we we had a just over a hundred a few hundred people respond so you you know you you have got your and your team <laughs> and facility network UK and everyone else who comes on board with this it's it's a big challenge to get men talking but you started and and you're growing so you know just please keep going <laughs> we've got to try and make this <laughs> and, and and make men feel comfortable about sitting in the pub and talking talking about their sperm or a varicocele or you know and and for male cancers as well Again, if people don't talk about it, they don't know what's normal and they, they, you know, just put things away in a cup and think, oh, I've got a little lump there, but I'm just not going to think about it. Having those conversations can help men in all aspects of their health with regarding their, you know, their reproductive system. So it, it's such important work. So thank you. Thank you so much um, <laughs> for doing this. Oh, that's very... You, you yeah, it's very, very kind to you. <laughs> very kind to you, Joy. So there's a bit of delay in the thing then. Yeah, very kind to you. I mean, but but coming, you know, just touch on the cancer and the health thing, you know, fertility is life changing in respect that, you know, if you have a child, that's life changing. If you don't, that's also life changing. It's a big, this is a big thing, but also things like cancer, um, you know, if guys are a bit embarrassed to go and have a physical a physical examination and I was when I saw Jonathan Ramsey for the first time I was really nervous about you know someone filling my testes and having a little look and stuff it's, it is you know um but I remember you know how much my partner went through when she went through all her observations and I just thought Do you know what for the sake of literally a minute um it it, it will help identify a problem and the lump that I had there, I didn't know if it was cancerous or not. And it, I had it there for a long time. And could would that have been cancer? It could have been quite life-threatening for me. And we did things like, you know, pro, there's lots of prostate um, campaigns right now about kind of guys getting checked out for um, for prostate cancer. And, you know, that's becoming, you know, a younger thing now. People of a younger age are starting to get, you know, issues like that. And we, we just need to be... Um, we just need to be empowered to talk about this and hopefully I can kind of trailblaze that that path to help guys feel a bit more empowered to, to go and get checked and treated because ultimately if you don't the the outcome could be far different um and that might be a dad or not not dad or it could be potentially life-threatening in terms of if you've got you know a, a condition as such as cancer 
and you've not had it checked and it's gone too far, then, you know, there is there is a life threatening problem there. So um, this this campaign is, is far bigger than than just fertility. I think it's just about getting guys to be, you know, confident and surround yourself with people that are genuinely there to, to help you out. And so many professionals in this space really do want to help the men out. Um, and I'm very grateful that, that that industry exists because I wouldn't have Oliver otherwise. I know. And I, I recently heard of a friend of mine who died um, a few months ago. Um, he got diagnosed with prostate cancer at the beginning of COVID, um, didn't go for his checkups during COVID, well, for the last few years, and then it had spread and he died. So, you know, and he's young. He was young. So we, we've got to raise his awareness. And you'll be really pleased to know that we've been doing a lot of work with schools and when I started giving talks in schools, I called them fertility education. But then I soon realized that that was a really not what I was trying to do. What I wanted to teach was reproductive health education and also make sure that everyone was aware this is not a woman's problem. For reproductive health as well, we've got to include everything. So um, the um, teacher's guide is actually out for consultation at the moment um, until the end of May. I think this podcast might come out when it's finished. But we, ha- I have included in there um, some slides about male reproductive cancers, so prostate cancer, testicular cancer, et cetera, so that in schools we can start to get guys aware. I mean, one of – I also know a teenager who uh, got testicular cancer when he was 18. So, you know, boys have got to be aware that they, they do need to check. And if they find a lump – I know it's worrying, but – getting that awareness there and it needs to start in schools for sure um so you also are involved with the him fertility campaign do you want to tell us a little bit more about that yeah so the the him fertility campaign is um an arm of fertility network uk really um so the the amazing rod gilbert did a did a tv documentary um which he branded him fertility it's his he's his um beast really um and he quite bravely did a whole campaign of his own fertility journey um craig's the brand around it and and to try and raise awareness and at the time actually on the documentary um he did a him and his team did some research about you know male factor fertility awareness and you know is there support groups and found nothing um and it was right at the time that i was just starting my my bits and pieces with the charity um and obviously you know it it really was the landscape for fertility and male fertility support was like zero everywhere um and he created infertility and the documentary went out and he didn't want it to end there the agency that had it were prepared to pass it on um and the the charity rod and i had a meeting about fertility network uk um kind of taking ownership of that infertility campaign so we can continue it and keep it moving forward um Rod is still very much a part of that. Um, he joins a support group monthly with us uh, where we kind of support men on a monthly basis, um, you know, talking all things facility and just create a, an online space really for guys just to come on and chat. And quite often you find that guys will end up on there because their partner's gone, go on, get yourself on there. And, they, you know, they might have the cameras or their, their microphones muted, which is fine. Um, and it's quite interesting because you find by half an hour to an hour in um they used to only be an hour sessions now they're like two two and a half hours um people turn their, their, ca- their cameras and microphones on and go Tobes can I say something and I'm like yeah yeah of course and they're like honestly this is like a breath of fresh air because we've set up the group to be um you know we've we, when we host it we've kind of just said that we just wing it um there's no real agenda other than the fact we're just here for guys 
and whatever we talk about, whether that's racing, football, fertility, nuts, you know, going to, you know, going to get yourself checked out, the difficult problem of producing a sample in a box room when you can hear, you know, people underground outside, all the difficulties that we, that we face. Um, and we just go with it. And, and however the night goes, we just kind of help support people. Um, on there, you know, guys have come along and they've they've found out that they've got problems of their own um, and we've helped sort of counsel them through, you know, their mental challenges and sort of steered them of where to go next, really, because we've had guest speakers on, such as Jonathan Ramsey, um, that, have got, that have given really educational pieces around male factor facility. And then guys then get educated of what's what's to do. Because I think what we what happened is when you go through a fertility journey, and, and it's probably, you know, it's quite common for most people, is that you just feel like a rabbit in the headlights. There's this new lingo that you've got to learn. And you're like, what the bloody hell do I do? Where do I go next? Um, so it's nice to be able to offer some sort of education to to help guys understand what the terminology is and what what options are out there for people. And you know, we get we get lots of um, people come back and sharing their their wonderful news. And some people, you know, obviously have bad news, and and we're equally there for them as well. Um, but it's just about yeah, just getting a bunch of guys on a Zoom chat, having a chat and see where the night goes really and it's it's um it's been lovely to host actually been very very lovely again thank you uh, you and rod so much i i've seen the documentary and it i think i cried in that as well um but you know seeing the guys in the pub yeah. over a beer and you know just having a laugh and then talking about sperm but i mean rod did say he was reluctant and nervous at the beginning about starting this campaign and getting things moving and i, I can see you know you you both of you have gone into a space where nobody has stood up and said hey this is me um it's some of you how can we help each other so you know absolutely amazing thank you both so much it's it's brilliant um so have you heard people say why didn't anyone <coughs> so i'll do that again <laughs> um i'm a bit overcome by everything you said have you heard people say why didn't anyone tell me this which is the title of this podcast, because I've heard it, many of us have heard it so many times. And what did they say? I've heard that many times. <laughs> um, yeah, I've I've heard that so much because of the journey that I've been on, the male factor facility journey. You know, I've heard so many people, you know, find out that they've got maybe varicocele, um, and they've just said, oh, we'll just do ICSI. You know, we just crack on and do some more ICSI cycles, and they've had, that's it, that's, that's all they've gone. And, and when... And when, you know, people have found out about my story and understood that there's actually a DNA fragmentation test, there's oxidative stress tests that could be available, a physical examination, the amount of blokes go to me, but yeah, why hasn't someone told me this before? <laughs> it's madness. Um, and I think actually it's probably way more common in the male fertility space than it is actually the woman's space. Um, because typically a woman will go through quite a lot before they go through um, an IVF cycle, um, especially if they're, if they're going to go through the NHS system because there's lots of qualification sort of tests and exams that will be done to, to get the, the funding for it. But us guys, crikey, we're, we're left in the dirt. You know, we're, we're just a, effectively felt like a sperm donor. So um, that phrase I hear, unfortunately, all too often. Um, and I'd love that to be something we don't ever hear again. But that there's a lot of work to come yet. Um, but in the meantime, you know, we're doing everything we can to, to help change that that conversation, I guess. Yeah, it's a phrase I wouldn't want to hear again either. And also in the school uh, teacher's guide, we did include some information about male fertility decline, which 
people really didn't even collect data on until quite recently. We we did, as we said, always blame the woman for everything. But now we know that even a male's preconception health or pre-pregnancy health before you get your partner pregnant has can have a long-term effect on the health of the child. And then also um, the the issues around male fertility decline. So we know that men now over we now know that men over forty their their sperm's not quite so healthy. They might take it long longer to get their partner pregnant. They also um, they them and their partner can have a higher risk of miscarriage. And there are some issues that can happen with genetic abnormalities, it's like increase in some genetic diseases and also a risk in with things such as autism. And it's something that, you know, we've certainly swept under the carpet for decades and it's only just coming to light. So it's really important to, to balance this and let everyone know, yes, infertility can be result from the woman, but it's also equally from the man. And there are issues that we, we definitely need to help people understand and help educate them. Yeah, absolutely. I can't, I can't agree more with that, to be fair. Um, you know, I think we, we often talk about IVF success, live birth rate. Um, but the way I ever look at it is if I'm, here's my analogy. If we ever, if I ever bake a cake or make a lovely dinner, I want the best ingredients possible um, so that I get hopefully the nicest cake or dinner. Um, and, you know, you treat yourself once in a while to a really nice piece of fillet, then you're going to get a lovely, a lovely steak kind of thing. And, and I think when you look at, um, fertility I always think that if you can start off with the best ingredients i.e the best egg and the best sperm then if you get a live birth you've chucked everything at it that hopefully you'll have the most healthy baby now of course there's always going to be a risk of you know various diseases and problems and genetic problems etc because that's just inherently how genetics work but if you can avoid um certain things you know if, if for example your dna your sperm dna is super super healthy then you know that when that goes to the egg, you're giving the egg the best sperm that it could possibly get. And, and hopefully then that little baby is is as healthy as it could possibly be. And, and I had a really interesting discussion recently with someone about the concept that actually you see people smoking, drinking, overweight, oh, but they can have children. Um, and that's true. We, we do see that. And that's very much something we try and counsel and support on because it's quite frustrating when you're being told you need to quit drinking, need to stop caffeine, stop smoking, lose weight all these things that you know guys and women are, are, are told to try and help their their conception but actually um what, what we do know is that we do know that if you do try and eliminate those things you're going to then have better ingredients to provide to the embryo and then hopefully that will be a healthier child and you're not going to then pass on some you know some some diseases and problems etc but coming back to um the, the education part um when certainly my sex education as a, as a child was very much how to put a condom on a banana and also a, a room full of young teenage boys it was you would just try to install the fear of god that if you had sex with a woman without protection you're gonna have a baby and your life's over um and i i, I still to this day i remember that that conversation and like crikey I, you know obviously i was with katie at the time we need to be dead careful because our life's going to be over if we have a child um but actually, the, the, there needs to be more education about family planning. Yes, you need to be delaying um, a child because ultimately, if you know circumstances are right, it's obviously then difficult to, to raise a child. Not that it's impossible, but it's difficult. Um, but there then needs to be more education about future family planning because actually, if you can identify a problem when you're young, 
um, you may then you may know that you might not have any sperm. And actually, if you don't find that until you're in your 30s, that could be quite detrimental to your relationships and the way life is, etc. Um, and I think that'd be a really hard thing to deal with. But something that's happening at the moment with um, the younger generation is men, you know, young men in their 20s are trying to do everything they can to make themselves look more sexually attractive to their female counterpart, i.e. bigger muscles, nicer hair, um, you know, all these kind of things that they're, they're doing and they're filling themselves with anabolics, you know, false proteins. Um, they're using hair dyes and, you know, hair loss treatments, try and make a nice head of hair and stuff. And that's fine because they're trying to make themselves look more sexually attractive to their female counterpart, but they're absolutely destroying their fertility potential so that if they then have a partner, the chances are that they're going to have a decreased rate of success for their own fertility journey if they want children down the line. So we need to do a lot more about that kind of education, actually. Stop following only way as Essex um, <laughs> for, for, you know, for your own sanity. Um, actually think about what, what impact that's having on your fertility journey. And, and I think that's a really, really important topic right now because in the next decade or two, um, if this kind of thing continues, like you said, we're only going to see a decline get worse. Um, and we know that we've got estrogenic chemical compounds in our diets these days from things like BPA and plastics, drinking out of water bottles and, um, you know, all the th environmental things that can have an impact. And people don't realize that actually that has a, an impact on your health, but it absolutely hankers your, your fertility potential, especially among men, because obviously we don't want estrogen in our system or as little as we can get. You know, we want the testosterone to be strong. We, know, we don't want to be pumping out that good stuff. Um, and if you've got more estrogenic compounds in your body, your testosterone is going to drop, right? And that has a, a huge lasting effect. But I didn't know about any of this prior to fertility treatment. Um, and I do everything I can now to give myself the best possible chance of the future, really. And I, and I want other people to to understand that these are real factors and real, real issues that we face. I'm so glad you brought that up, actually, because I, I'm more and more frustrated that we are creating products that are bad for our health. Um, and I've, I've, I've turned 60 this year. And when you get to my age, you worry a bit more about your, well, I've always worried about my health, but you worry a bit more about your health. And, you know, we're surrounded like by everything. You go into a shop, there's sugar. Everywhere is sugar, which is so toxic and doesn't help with obesity. And that helps, that affects our fertility. So again, in schools, we're trying to discuss the fact that we need to be very careful about what we eat and drink and we need to exercise, we need to sleep well and help our body repair. And it's frustrating that, like you said, water bottles, you know, once you've used them, those toxic chemicals can get in the review. And many people reuse their water bottle, yeah, their plastic water bottle. So there's we are surrounded by these toxins. And I've, I've got a great story that uh, years ago, one of our very well-known uh, mouse researchers, she does a lot of work on mouse embryology, and uh, she moved lab, and she went to the new lab, a new premises, and the mice were totally infertile. She kept mating them, mating them, mating them. They were the same mice and everything, and they just didn't get pregnant. And mice not getting pregnant, you know, <laughs> they breed really well. Um, and after lots of research into why this was happening, she found out it was the cleaning fluid that was being used to clean the cages. So she her, her bottom line was, don't be too clean. Don't use all these anti-everything that, you know, anti-clothes wash, you know, that's crazy. You know, all this anti-bacterial and things, it can really affect our fertility. But all of these things can really affect our long-term health as well. So we need to do it for our 
fertility. We need to do it for the future of our children, but also our own health. We really must be really careful. And I just get frustrated that why are companies allowed to produce more things that are so toxic to us so <laughs> i'll get off my high horse now. i know i know yeah we could this is like a new podcast this one yeah it's it's so true though isn't it it's so true um and there's there's so much that that does affect our health and um that ultimately affects our facility but we also know that um if you've got an issue with with male fat facility there are studies out there now of future long-term health conditions such as heart disease is even linked to it isn't it you know there's there's lots of these things going on so um if you can actually understand your your fertility at a younger age then hopefully you can actually you know figure out how to live a healthier life and how it how it actually benefits you in the long term not just for the benefit of having a family um and and like i say it's a really important point to think about your own health yeah i i hear so many people say oh well we're going to try and get pregnant in a, in a year or so so we're going to start um, being healthy <laughs> you should always be healthy you shouldn't have to spend a year <laughs> preparing for a pregnancy and get healthy anyway right we 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 could talk forever about fertility but i want to finish now with a few questions a bit more about you because i really want people to try and lead the best life they can ever lead and so my questions at the end of my podcast are a bit more about motivation and happiness so what motivates you? You've done, you've done so much with your racing and your campaigning. What motivates you? Um, the, the biggest thing that motivates me is seeing other people happy. Um, I, I've always been a bit of a people pleaser. Um, and any of my close friends and family will say, you're, you're too busy trying to make other people happy. But generally, seeing other people happy makes me happy. So if if on my mission I can do anything to to make someone's happiness better, and um, that's exactly what I love doing and that fulfills so much for me I think that the, the gift of giving is is such a powerful thing um, and if we could all live like that then I think we live in a better planet myself so I think that nicely gets into the next question so I think there might be some overlap what makes you happy and where is your happy place I've pretty much answered it <laughs> um, but my happy place is is the racetrack um I, I love I love to escape to motorsport that really is my happy place in terms of my own you know my own inner self I think when I go racing um living life on the edge in motorsport actually makes me feel most alive um and it's very weird and I, I wish everyone could experience what I do in it in a race car but when I'm out there racing my heart off um you know for fertility and you know to raise awareness um when the car's on its edge and I'm close to having a big crash um that's when my mind is absolutely silent and all of my kind of worries and problems go away and all I'm thinking about is being present and I think you know we talk a lot about kind of um living in the present and when I'm in a race car nothing beats it for me um that's definitely my happy place (laughs) thank you that's we haven't had that one before (laughs) um and what advice would you give your younger self wow that's an interesting one um I think care less about what people think about you. I used to be very much that person that would would always care about what people think of me. And, you know, I always kind of wasn't my true self when I was younger. I think I've learned to live more of my true self. Um, and I, I guess just grab the balls by the horn and don't be scared of anything that comes in front of you because life, life we're here for a short time. Um, and if we can do something to help others be happier and yourself be happier, and if you think less about what 
the outcome might be and just get on with actually making something positive and good, then that will make a better future for not just you, but for everyone around you. And I think I held back a lot when I was younger. Um, and so, yeah, just embrace every opportunity that comes in front of you. Wow. I love that. I totally love that. So Toby, that was absolutely amazing. I, some of my guests at the end, I really want to give them a big hug. I'll give you a virtual hug. <laughs> and we've never oh. met in person. <laughs> Hopefully sometime we'll meet in person. But thank you so much for giving up your time to tell us your story and keep going with all the brilliant work and the success with your um, motorsport as well. And yeah, thank you so much. Oh, Joyce, thank you so much for having me. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, and it's been lovely to, to finally chat properly. Um, and I look forward to when our paths cross and we actually meet in 3D and not in this 2D space. But um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. And, and I hope it's beneficial for, for your listeners. I'm sure it will be. Thank you so much. Oh, take care. <laughs>